well, does life kind of feel monotonous to you? Day by day, it just keeps the same routine. Perhaps work demands never end. The email inbox has this magical ability just to keep filling up again. And the demands on you keep going. You kind of um, go to bed late, and you wake up early, and you just feel tired all the time. Or is that just me? Feel tired all the time. I'm not even 50 yet. I need that book, Acceptance. Well, if you do feel like that, this has been a great Sunday to come to church. I want to encourage you and challenge you from God's Word, what it has to say here in Hebrews chapter 4. So please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, or open it on your phone, or whatever device you've got. You'll find it on page 1,203 in the church Bibles. Page 1,203. going to read the chapter, well down to verse 13 anyway. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, They shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, 
It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is God's word. We've actually heard God's voice. Well, isn't that encouraging if we're feeling uh, that work is monotonous and never-ending, that life is never-endingly busy? Verse 1, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. There's a promise. We can enter God's rest. And, and it's repeated, that thought, in verse 6. Um, it still remains for some to enter that rest. And so what I want to do this morning is to consider these two things. I want to consider, firstly, what is this rest that is being talked about? And secondly, how do we make sure that we don't miss out on that rest? What is the rest? And how do we make sure we don't miss out on that rest? So firstly then, what is this rest? This letter was written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians who were tempted to walk away from Jesus because they were just facing so much opposition and difficulty. And if they just walked away from Jesus, life would get a lot easier. And they're facing that temptation. They made a great start, but they're starting to look shaky. And the writer of this letter, we don't know exactly who it was, but he wants them to know that that would be utterly disastrous. This, this letter is a passionate plea for them not to give up all that they had in Jesus. Because what they've got in Jesus is so much better than anyone or anything else. In fact, you know, the phrase that just keeps popping up to this book is that, uh, that Jesus is better. You know, he's better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, better than... And it just keeps keep pointing how what we have in the new covenant, what we have in Jesus is so much better than anyone or anything else. You know, chapter 1 teaches us about his majesty, of how God spoke supremely through his son. Chapter 2 reminds us of his ministry, of how God the Son took on human flesh and suffered death for us in order to pioneer a pathway of salvation to eternal glory for all his brothers and sisters who put their trust in him. Chapter 3 then urges us to fix our minds on Jesus and to guard our hearts as a way of persevering in our heaven-bound pilgrimage. 
And as he's writing to these Christians from a Jewish background, he draws from this rich history of Israel as a warning of the dangers of those who start out well, but in the end miss out. Now, here's a rough guide of biblical history. Abraham lived about 2,000 years uh, before Jesus came, and God promised him blessing, that he would bless him, that he'd turn him into a great nation, and through him he would uh, make him to be a blessing to the nations, and he promised to give him the land in which he sort of wandered around. A thousand years before Christ was the, roughly the time of King David, who was ruling over the nation of Israel in the land. And halfway between Abraham and David was basically this time of Moses and the period of the Exodus. Uh, and during that time, uh, Abraham's descendants found themselves as slaves in Egypt. But they heard the good news that God had come to save them through Moses. And they were set on a journey from, from rescue to reward of the promised land, this, this land that Abraham was promised. But sadly, most of them missed out on the reward because they rejected what God said and rebelled. Uh, take a look at the end of chapter 3. If you look at verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They experienced the, the rescue uh, out of slavery in Egypt, and they, uh, they, they made it all the way to the edge of the promised land. At that very moment, they botched it. Twelve spies went to spying. Ten came back, half-empty sort of guys, just saw all the problems. Two saw all the opportunities, but the majority went with the negative report. And they didn't believe God's promises. And they, they rebelled. And so they didn't enter their rest. Uh, they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness till their bodies dropped in the desert. And then in chapter 4, the writer kind of takes this history that they well know of because actually they, they sang it almost every Sabbath day as they as they read Psalm 95 and sang Psalm 95 that was read to us earlier. This reminder that this God that they came to worship, their ancestors had rejected and rebelled and missed out and, 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 and they'd hardened their hearts against his word and so God promised you shall never enter my rest. He takes that, that event that they all knew about and then he kind of applies it specifically to his Christian readers in the first century so that they don't miss out. 4 verse 1, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also 
have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So that's the story. Their ancestors had heard the good news of God's salvation plan. They experienced the salvation out of Egypt. They got all the way to the border, but they didn't get in. And this fact should serve as a warning to the people who attempted at that point to to walk away from Jesus. How disastrous to walk away from Christ, who is the culmination of all of God's plans and purposes, the fulfillment of his uh, ultimate plan of salvation. God had promised that... uh, Through Jesus, there's a way of entering his rest. What do you think life's all about? Well, do you know what? The Bible says that ultimately life is about rest. Isn't that good news? Deep down, haven't we longed to hear that? It's about rest. Uh, Let me explain. The opening two chapters of the Bible... Uh, in the book of Genesis, give us this poetic account of how God formed and filled the earth over six days. And at the apex of his creation, he creates mankind, us, male and female, uh, as the pinnacle of his creation, to be stewards over his creation, made in his image and his likeness. But you know what? The whole point of creation doesn't come till the seventh day. Let's have a look at it. Keep your fingers in Hebrews. Come back to Genesis chapter 2, very first bit of your Bible. You'll find it on page 4. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The seventh day, you can come back to Hebrews now, see, is is not only kind of the... uh, the end of the week, but it's actually the the goal of all creation. In the Bible, the seventh day kind of never ends. Uh, The seventh day is what the whole thing is heading towards. Uh, This creating of the the world, you know, we need to realize that the the world itself is not the be-all and end-all of everything, but rather the final purpose is God's rest itself. Now, God rested not because he was tired. It wasn't because he was exhausted creating everything. No, God God is all-powerful. It was a a rest of completion. The work of creation was complete. And so God returns to that state that he had before he even began the creation of this internal joy and communion within himself because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is is God rests in a state of pure joy and delight as Father, Son, and Spirit mutually indwell and relate to each other. 
And uh, the fourth commandment that Moses gave tells us that actually God wants us to enter this rest with him. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. It was to be a day of blessing, of goodness, of enjoying relationship with God. That's what we're designed for. Adam and Eve shared in that seventh day. In fact, the the next chapter, chapter 2 of Genesis, tells us about the blessings of the Garden of Eden, which is a, a picture of this reality of resting with God. And I don't know what conception you have of what it means to enter God's rest, but chapter 2 is just a stunningly beautiful chapter. This Garden of Eden uh, is a beautiful garden. Trees that are good and food that is pleasing. Uh, to the eyes. Uh, it's a place where there are riches like gold, and yet the, the richest thing about it is the relationships, the harmony, the unity between the man and the woman. They are naked and they are not ashamed. It's a picture of heaven itself, walking with God in the cool of the day as God chats about what have they been doing with their day. The Sabbath rest was never meant to be sort of this negative day of restriction, but a day of joy and blessing, uh, of relating to God, of being in a community with each other and with this generous, abundant, life-giving God. That's God's purpose for his creation, to enjoy rest with him. But of course, you get to the next chapter, chapter 3, and Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator. They fell from this state of blessing and rest. They cast out of the garden. And so actually we are all profoundly restless as human beings. We're people cut off from God by our sin. A people cast out of Eden. We keep desiring this deep contentment and rest. We pursue it with all our might. We think buying lots of stuff is going to do it, but we get that stuff and we get bored with it. It doesn't do it. We think, oh, my holiday's coming and the holiday's going to be amazing because then I'll be able to really rest. And then seven or eight days into the holiday, you're bored and you're, you're still fretting. We yearn for this rest. But this life where we're separated as sinners from this holy God, we are restless sinners. Augustine, and one of the church fathers, said this, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. And the ultimate good news from God is that he sent his son to save lost, restless sinners. That through the death of, of Jesus on the cross, he secured a way that our sins can be forgiven, a way that our shame can be covered over, and that we can be restored into this relationship with God, of peace with our Creator. And although we still live in a, in a world of sin and suffering, the good news of Jesus is that He secured a way that we can enter into God's eternal rest. Something that actually transcends even the Garden of Eden. Uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And the way forward to to this future is to believe the good news about Jesus. To stop trusting in ourselves, but start trusting in him and keep trusting in him to the very end. We need to be careful 
to keep believing this good news, to keep trusting Jesus. Because here's the warning, Israel missed out because of their unbelief. They heard the good news, but it was of no use to them because they did not share the faith of those who did obey and enter the promised land, which was Joshua and Caleb. But I want you to notice from verse 3 that this blessing of rest is not only a reality at the very end. Look at verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest. There's a sense in which that rest is also both now but fully then in the future. Listen to how Jesus addressed the crowds in Matthew 11. I said at the very beginning of our service today, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's a way of saying, learn from me, you know, be my disciple. And, and, and for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We don't work to get this salvation, this rest. We don't earn it by our good works, by being religious. We, we, we receive it by coming to Jesus and trusting his promises. That's how we get this rest. And from the moment we begin to trust him, we begin to know something of the blessings of relationship with God. Forgiveness of our sins. A guilty conscience cleansed the gift of the Holy Spirit, the privilege of prayer, the hope of heaven, the knowledge of becoming his loved children, the sense of his presence and his guidance through his word. All the blessings start here and now. We do enter that rest of salvation now as we believe Jesus. But you know what? The greatest blessings of salvation are still yet to come. Verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Our society still basically has this pattern of work and a day of rest. Sunday, thankfully, is a bit calmer, isn't it, than the other days. It's still this residual reminder that, that God's people have found great blessing to, to work and then stop and rest, and God's people have gathered to have an experience of a reminder of the awesome privilege it is ours of relating to God, to, to gather in his presence together, to sing his praises, to hear his word, to, to, to remember that, that life is about relating to him, living for him, enjoying him. So week by week, we meet on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday as a reminder of the resurrection hope yet to come. But you know what? As we meet week by week and enjoy it together and begin to get a wee taste of all the privileges that are ours, the truth is that there still, verse 9, remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's a day coming when God's people will rest from all their labors. The word Sabbath is not the usual word. It actually means the celebration of Sabbath. I love this note of a good party. There is 
a celebration, Sabbath day of rest ahead for the people of God. A day when the work of life will be done. The work of living for Christ in a hostile and sinful world will be done. The day of fighting against our own sinful desires will be done. The struggles, the difficulties, the heartaches of this life will be done. And we will enter into the celebration of heaven. So be in no doubt that heaven is a very joyful place. We hear that the angels rejoice at just the repentance of one sinner. There's, there's parties going on in heaven all the time. And there is a day coming where we will enter into that eternal party and joy of heaven forever. And it's not going to be an exhausting thing. Maybe you're thinking, oh, well, that sounds very exhausting. No, you're going to have new bodies ready, fit for the, being able to cope with so much joy, you wouldn't believe it. A party that never ends and you never want to leave it. You know, for our teens still at school, there, there is a day coming when school will be done. And the long summer holidays will begin and will never end. School's out for summer. How cool is that? There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So how do we make sure that we don't miss out on this rest? Well, there's kind of a couple of things in chapter 4. We're only going to consider one of them. But there's two things in chapter 4 that to help us not to miss out. Firstly, be fearful before God's word. Secondly, be confident before God's throne. Be fearful before God's word. Be confident before God's throne. And we're going to leave the being confident before God's throne till next, till next week. So let's just think about this first thing. Be fearful before God's word. Now that original word that the NIV has uh, interpreted and translated, be careful, is more literally, let us fear. And it starts off with that very word in the original language. Let us fear. That's how it starts. Therefore, let us fear. The SV puts it this way, the English Standard Version. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, this is a surprising word, isn't it? It kind of instinctively feels, well, that doesn't feel right, does it? Should we, should we be fearful? So we better understand what it means correctly. This isn't sort of the fear that is cringing and crippling, you know, in our house, a little teeny spider can cause a lot of excitement. In this moment, I get to be heroic. I will get that. You know, so it's not that sort of fear that cripples, that terrifies, that, you know. It, it, it's a different sort of fear. It's a fear that motivates us to action. I've never done skydiving. Have you ever done skydiving? I, I think a few of you have. I would imagine if you're skydiving, there's a sort of a healthy sort of fear that would motivate you to check you've got all your straps on. 
they're all buckled up. And you, you do that more than once. My guess, you check that the main parachute's on, the reserve parachute, you check that the person who packed it was a professional, and you strap this thing on good and proper before you throw yourself out of the plane. There is a sort of a fear that motivates us to action. Well, maybe you've never done that. I don't intend doing that. But, you know, it, every, it, booking a holiday these days it involves a huge amount of, of faith, doesn't it? You, you look on the internet and there's wonderful pictures. It looks fantastic. Um, you read about the, the sunny beaches and the wonderful hotel and the great food reviews. And you hope the reviewers are actually not paid to do them, but they're actually genuine reviews. And, uh, and you sort of basically, with a tremendous amount of faith, you submit your credit card in, 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 online. And all you get back is a little email saying, congratulations, here's your e-voucher. And on huge faith, you prepare for that great day that's coming because you've been told you've got an e-voucher and coupons. And, um, and what happens, you know, if you've got an early morning flight the next day? What do you do before you go to bed? Well, you basically set about five or six alarms around your room, don't you? Because you've got a very healthy fear that you will sleep in and you will miss that plane. And you don't want to miss that plane. Now that's the sort of fear I'm talking about, that sort of healthy, motivating fear that means you're, and I suppose this is why the NIV's gone for it, you're extra specially careful. Because you've got something glorious that you don't want to miss out on. It's been promised to you. And you know that, you know, by faith, if you get to that airport on time, you will be whisked away to this amazing location and have a fabulous holiday, which you'll be bored about in about 10 days' time. But anyway, uh, you know, so this is the reality, a healthy fear that, that, that gets you motivated. Now, it's that sort of attitude that we are to have as we come week by week on a Sunday to hear God's word read and preached and day by day as we dig into his word ourselves. Right the way through chapter 3 and 4, he keeps quoting Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Remember, why was it that Israel missed out on their rest, the rest of the promised land? Because although they heard the good news, they did not believe it. And they showed that by not obeying it. So therefore, let us be fearful, very careful in how we listen to God's word. So that we respond with that sort of faith-fueled obedience so that we don't fall short of it. There's a problem if you've been a Christian for a while, and that is that you can become blasé about the Bible. Oh, it's just the Bible. Yeah, you know, sometimes I try and read it. This is God speaking to us. This is what God has to say to us as he shines the spotlight on Jesus, as he's shared with us the good news about Jesus. And it is no small thing 
that God should speak to us. And the right attitude of heart, if we're going to benefit from it, is a right sort of healthy, motivating fear. To attentively lessen, to check the buckles are all on the parachutes. We need to keep listening to the word of God. Look at how it's described in verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We desperately need God's word to do its work in our lives. You see, this is not a dead book of the past. It is an ongoing, living word of God in the present. As we were reminded back in chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, quoting Psalm 95, the Holy Spirit is still speaking this word to us today. This is God's living words. And it's been the experience of millions of people who've taken the time to read it, to read what it says, to... to uh, to do what it says, that it's alive and active. It works in us. It works upon us. And it's described as something sharper than a double-edged sword. A, a double-edged sword goes in much more easily than a single-edged sword. Actually, it's going to be described almost like a, a surgeon's scalpel, isn't it? God's word has the ability to cut down cut deep it can divide things that actually can't otherwise be divided you see our spirit is a, a description of our inside self as it the spiritual part of us that relates to God and the soul is that way of describing the self that is just the real person on the inside that we relate to as we chat to each other now you can't actually divide those two things but that's the point that this word of God can discriminate and cut deep it cuts us open and why does the surgeon cut us open he cuts us open because he wants to bring healing he wants to cut out the diseased bits he wants to bring us health and wholeness well that's what a good doctor wants to do and this is what God's word does. It sounds very painful, but you know what? We need God's word to do this work in our hearts. As we considered a few weeks ago, um, look back at uh, verse 15. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that, no one of you may, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There's this sort of spiritual disease in each one of us, and we need the Word of God to go deep, to cut in, and, and, and to reveal our sin, and to shine the spotlight on our Savior that we'll keep coming to Him and seeking to apply the Word of His grace into our lives to bring us health and healing and to keep us pressing on in our pilgrimage to heaven. Because this chapter, uh, verse 13, does end in a very sober point, doesn't it? It can feel like every day is exactly the same. You know, the sun comes up every day. Oh, another day. It's all the same. And like, like, it'll never end. But of course, that's a lie. That's illusory to think that. This has been a week where I've been to two funerals. And there is a terminus. 
And there is a point where we'll stand before the God who created us and we'll have to give an account for our lives. Look at verse 13. And no, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I have no idea why people want to go on the show, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. It can't be the bush tucker, can it? And I guess it must be either a desire for attention or the 200000 they get paid. But uh, still, is it really worth it putting your life under a microscope like that so that, uh, that, that, that millions of people will uh, observe your life and make judgments about you as they see what you get up to in the jungle? But as you hear about that show relentlessly, unfortunately, through the media, remember this, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And that's why we need to be those who fearfully come before God's word. To proactively respond to what we learn from God's word so we don't miss out. I guess this is a warning to, to sort of a passive Christianity that just floats along and thinks, you know, I don't have to do much. No, it requires an attentiveness to Keep close to God by hearing his word and responding with faith and obedience. Now next week we're going to think about this other truth that balances this, that, that there is a throne of grace that we can confidently come before to find help and mercy and strength in our struggles. But I want us to hear the challenge of this week. Will we listen to the word of God today? As long as we have a today, will we submit ourselves under the word of God and respond to the word of God? Will we come day by day eager to, to listen and to learn and to live for Christ? And I suppose there's two options today. We might say to ourselves, um, yes, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, you know, remember from a few weeks ago, we're here in part today to encourage each other to this very thing, to, to remind each other to keep listening to God's voice and responding to God's voice. And, and this fellowship together, this coffee time together is in part about that. To keep reminding ourselves how awesome Jesus is, all that he's done to save us. How utterly glorious will this future inheritance be? There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Keep trusting him because he's got a pathway to this eternal glory. Enjoy resting in God today. But it could be you're going to say, well, no. I'm not going to listen to God's voice today. And you'll show that this week by just uh, not taking the opportunities to, to read his word, not being bothered about coming to Bible study groups, not being bothered about coming to church on Sunday. No. I'm not going to listen to your voice, God. That's what we're saying. Uh, we might actually go through the motions, pretend to be religious, pretend to turn up. But actually, we're not really listening to God's voice. And if that's what you're thinking about as your response today, remember verse 13. We will have to give an account. 
And it would be utterly terrifying to come on that day and to hear God declaring on oath with eternal finality, you shall never enter my rest. Don't respond to God's word like that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these loving warnings from your word. We thank you that we can confidently come before your throne now and know that there's a great high priest at your right hand. And so we have the basis of coming and finding strength and power and help that we may trust Christ today. Well, Lord, would you help us never to be complacent under your words, but to be those who hear carefully and with faith and obedience all the days of our life. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.